Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, August 23rd. I am not Stephen Foskett. I am your wonderful co-host, Mr. Tom Hollingsworth, but joining me is the actual, in real life, Stephen Foskett. Stephen. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the show. Um, as you noticed, we are doing this live and in person here at VMware Explorer 2023 in a beautiful, not quite so hot Las Vegas. I mean, it's still hot, but it's, you know, not 120 degrees. But the news that we're bringing you on this National Cuban Sandwich Day is very hot because we not only have stories about VMware Explorer, but we've got some other cool stuff going on in the news. But Stephen, you know, what is your favorite kind of dessert? Um, I really, I'm, I'm supposed to say sponge cake because it's National Sponge Cake Day, <laughs> but I'm so not gonna say sponge cake. I'm sorry, I like ice cream. I like creme brulee. Um, I like, honestly, a good bread pudding, but not a bad bread pudding, and those are one of those things where there's good ones and there's bad ones. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna just move on. How, how about this? Should we ride like the wind here on National Ride the Wind Day? You're right, bullseye, we should, because we've got a lot of stories that are just floating around out there that we wanna to get to. The first one comes to us as the CCIX Consortium has agreed to transfer the specifications and technology behind the group to the CXL Consortium. CCIX is one of the few remaining competitors to CXL, primarily focusing on things like network processing and 4G, 5G connectivity. CXL will be offering membership to existing CCIX companies that weren't already members of the CXL consortium. Steven, CXL has been doing a lot to kind of combine all of these technologies under one roof. What does this mean for the future of things that are not CXL? So as we've discussed previously on the rundown, uh, the CXL consortium has been actively bringing in the IP of all the other things that were kind of like CXL previously. So uh, back in uh, 2020, uh, they brought in the Gen Z consortium, which is not in fact the consortium of our children, but is, is the name of a consortium that was basically building the same kind of cash coherent fabric approach. Um, then in uh, 2022, again, as we reported here on the rundown, uh, OpenCAPI became part of the uh, CXL consortium because again, it was a related technology. It was, I don't wanna say a competing initiative, but another initiative to develop a disaggregated, um, you know, uh, cash coherent architecture. And now uh, they're absorbing the CCIX consortium. And again, <laughs> I guess the TLDR on this is that the CCIX consortium was doing kind of the same thing again as CXL. What you should know about this, like I guess the takeaways for somebody who's like, that's a lot of initials, I don't know what this is, is that, well, all the initials are part of the CXL consortium now and all of their uh, IP is as well. And this is the important thing. Essentially, so the CXL consortium now controls all of the different products that are cash coherent and um, disaggregated infrastructure. And all of those things are gonna be moving forward as CXL. And so as I talked about at Flash Memory Summit with the CXL consortium leaders, uh, as I talked about with many of the companies in this space, essentially we've gotten to the point now where we've got another USB or another PCI. We've got a standard that everyone in the industry is adopting this is where we're going for cache coherent disaggregated architecture and it includes all the ip and that's an important aspect of it uh, in one and so basically members can get access to this they can develop products and then they don't have to worry about sort of running afoul either to a different standard or to ip challenges so 
overall, this is good. It's going to help CXL develop. And it's nice to see the industry working together the way that the industry is supposed to work together. Tom, Sousa, the maker of the famous Linux distribution, is going uh, private again after just two years as a public company. The majority shareholder said that they're delisting the Linux provider from the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. Uh, the move values Sousa at $16 per share, which is more than it's valued now, but less than it was valued at the IPO. And it's aimed at providing some flexibility in the current space, which is muddled thanks to the whole IBM Red Hat debacle, or is it debacle? We're going to go with debacle. Um, and of course, uh, challenges from companies like Canonical and Ubuntu. SUSE is also part of this newly formed Open ELI project along with Oracle and CIQ. What do you think of this? So I think that this is an important move because it basically signals to the world, at least to me, that SUSE is about to come Oracle Enterprise Linux. I know it's a pretty bold statement because wait, doesn't Oracle already have one? Yes, they do. But their Oracle Linux, their enterprise version, is basically a bug for bug copy of what Red Hat Enterprise Linux is right now. And that's what kicked off the whole open ELA argument was we have to be able to create that. Well, you've got CIQ on board, right? That's Rocky. So why would I want to try to pick one over the other? And this is how I see it going. I think that by delisting SUSE and basically buying them out. Um, Oracle is going to step in and effectively take over. And they're probably going to give the majority shareholder uh, you know, basically a premium on it. And they are going to develop SUSE as their enterprise Linux distribution. CIQ will kind of keep Rocky around almost like the community version that you can test against, that you can make sure your software runs and, and everything like that. But then when you want to go play with the big boys on the Oracle cloud, you're going to be using SUSE. Whether or not it still has the cute little chameleon on it, I don't know. But I think that the, reason, the only reason why this makes sense is to take them down from the stock exchange is to do all of this behind the scenes so that we're not having to file all of these reports and deal with all this extra stuff. And you're right, I believe that when the announcement was made, um, Sousa's share price was around $9 a share. Uh, when it went uh, public, it was $30 a share. And you know, it's not the best, but it's better than losing money. Uh, so I think that ultimately this is kind of a, you know, pay no attention to the Linux distribution behind the curtains kind of thing. And we'll eventually see that, that Oracle Enterprise Linux will be green and, and have lizards all over it. India has the world's largest population and they might soon have trouble getting their hands on some laptops, smartphones, and servers. The country, which currently imports around $20 billion in electronics devices, announced on August the 3rd that they would require licenses to import the latest gadgets. This has raised a lot more questions than answers about Prime Minister Modi's government, but could this cause real problems for tech companies? Well, first of all, I got to raise some questions about Prime Minister Modi's government after seeing this announcement. Um, as my good friend Simon Sharwood reported in the register, the announcement is, um, can I say craptastic? Sure. Okay. Craptastic. Um, it's a two-page two poorly scanned PDF, and it's crooked. There's typos. It's like, what? Anyway, setting that aside, um, setting that aside, the other thing to know about this is that this announcement came as a complete surprise to the entire world that supplies that $20 billion of goods, and it is sweeping. So I'm gonna quote from it what is included, okay? Personal computers, okay? Microcomputers, uh, I guess that's a, a throwback in their legal code to a previous term. Um, large or mainframe computers, 
again, okay. Uh, other automatic data processing machines and machines that are presented as systems, which again, this is a, obviously a throwback to previous uh, trade categories, but uh, sound like this includes everything? Um, processing units housing, okay, this is the funny one. Okay, it also includes processing units housing one or two of the following types of units. Storage units, input units, and output units. So if you make a read-only storage device, then clearly you're subject to this, but if you make one that has input and output, I guess you're free, right? Because it says one or two, not three. Anyway, I'm, I'm making fun of them. The point is that, and it also includes two sections labeled other. What this means is that this covers all these things, all the computers, servers, networking, firewalls, storage arrays, uh, tablets, laptops, everything. Now, all the press about this is talking about smartphones and tablets because the press, that's all they kind of know about, right? And so you look at this and it's like, ooh, you know, is Apple in trouble? Well, A, Apple is manufacturing in India as of this year, so no. Um, now, that was only the iPhone, but I, I mean, you know, the Apple can do this. But B, um, hello, all the other stuff, my gosh. Is India not going to be able to buy servers? Is India not going to be able to buy storage arrays and network and firewalls and all this kind of stuff? The answer is no. That is included. It's specifically included in here. And this would restrict the sale of any number of those more than one. So basically, I guess you can buy your firewalls one at a time through e-commerce, because that's, anyway, let's just get back to the topic. The topic is that India surprised the world by restricting imports of basically everything. And now the world is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now they pushed them back to November 1st to implement this. The whole point of this is that India wants a share of the global manufacturing um, pie. And you know what I say to that? Yeah, absolutely. Make this stuff in India. They've got a great workforce. They've got, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, they're obviously, you know, highly trained and intelligent. I mean, they've got all this great stuff going on there. Yeah, let's manufacture stuff in, uh, in India, but let's not close the door on all imports in order to make that happen. It's just crazy. Um, you know, is it really realistic that every company that makes every kind of IT device is going to be able to move manufacturing to India? No. Um, is it likely that many of them will try? Yeah, and I think that's good. I think it's good for India, and I think it's good uh, for diversification of the global supply chain. But how about we don't do this, <laughs> kind of metaphorically speaking, well, literally speaking, in the middle of the night via scanned PDF? So we've been discussing the new uh, BSL license uh, adoption for HashiCorp's products, including a closer look last week where we discussed it in somewhat some detail. But we have to get back to that because a group of vendors who leverage Terraform for their business model have created OpenTF, a consortium to uh, change the status quo. Basically, this is the uh, the stick, I suppose, <laughs> in, in, in the uh, licensing debate. Uh, OpenTF is lobbying HashiCorp to either keep Terraform under the non-BSL license or they're threatening to move uh, to fork it and make a new Terraform, uh, Ferratorm, as a wise man said, uh, that's not what they're going to call it, um, and, and create a whole new fork and, and basically have an open source version. Uh, what do you think about this in the light of what we talked about last week? I think it's funny that we've, it's been a week and we were already seeing what I consider to be the biggest piece of the, the HashiCorp crown jewel 
already coming under fire because like we said, so many companies leverage Terraform to build things that they do or they've built their entire business model around Terraform. And, and to be fair, they did kind of put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and say, listen, we, we want you to keep it. Or if you don't, we're gonna fork it. And a lot of these conversations have come around the fact that there are hundreds of pull requests that have been uh, submitted to HashiCorp even before the announcement uh, that are just getting discarded. And, and a lot of people are rightfully kind of furious about that because what they're saying in effect is that HashiCorp isn't paying attention to their contributions. And that's why they want to fork the project and they want to create their own version of Terraform and go off and do whatever they want with it. I think the problem that you're going to run into is if you fork the project, even if it is as close as possible to the current shipping version of Terraform, it's going to be just different enough that it's not going to be a full replacement. It's not going to be a perfect match. And so developing for the OpenTF version of Terraform is going to create kind of its own cottage ecosystem that a lot of companies, especially enterprise commercial ones, are not going to want to adopt. Yeah, you know what? It's a pain in the butt that we have to deal with this new license thing. And there's always that possibility that HatchCorp could come back on us and say that you can't do this anymore because it competes with us. At the end of the day, it was a whole lot easier to just deal with that and move on. And I, I think that what we'll probably end up seeing is that OpenTF is going to come to some kind of an agreement with HashiCorp. There'll be some kind of a, um, maybe a, a give and take where maybe Terraform does get put under a less restrictive license. Um, but I don't think that you're going to see a fork of Terraform. I, I, I don't think the people who have uh, thought about this have actually realized how much effort it's going to take. Um, in the press release that we're going to link in the show notes, they talked about the fact that there are 13 full-time developers that are ready to fork Terraform. And someone was like, 13, huh? See how that works out for you. Well, Stephen, as we mentioned, we're here at VMware Explore 2023, and there's been a lot of announcements from our friends at VMware talking about all of the things that they are releasing into the market, um, some changes that are inbound due to you know the situation that VMware and Broadcom are going to soon find themselves in. Um, the first one, of course, is uh, VMware just can't stop talking about Gen AI, which incorporates a lot of different developments. The company is adding AI assistance to a lot of products, and they're also introducing a new VMware private AI offering. Uh, with enabling generative AI processing on NVIDIA or open source platforms for enterprise deployment. VMware is talking about security and data privacy while at the same time touting performance and price benefits of on-premises GPUs. Stephen, what's this all about? What's well, all about Gen AI? I think that we can, we can drop the bike right there. I mean, we got Gen AI, baby. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I know this stuff. I mean, I was the host of the Utilizing AI podcast. You know, I mean, we've been talking about AI here a lot. I did AI Field Day. Um, I have never heard the term Gen AI as, as a, a taken for granted buzzword as much as I've heard here in Las Vegas. I heard one executive use it twice in the same sentence. Um, but, but what is it and what does it mean? That's the thing. So uh, spoiler alert, I have a whole checksum ex episode coming up for, uh, uh, here at Gestalt IT where I'm going to dive deep into what Gen AI really means. And, and you know, here's the, the too long, didn't read summary of that. So yeah, VMware is talking about Gen AI. Um, yes, some of the people talking about Gen AI probably don't know what Gen AI is. Uh, and yes, you shouldn't either because it's just another buzzword. Um, but what do they mean? Here's what they mean. Uh, as you can probably guess, AI is important. <laughs> Surprise, it's 2023. Um, AI is important in many different ways. One way that it's important is improving the functionality of existing products and, and of course new products 
And that's what VMware is doing. They're adding um, AI-based assistance to a lot of things, you know, think um, Copilot, that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, there's gonna be AI in there. It's gonna be in there security and networking and, and development and Tanzu and everywhere. There's gonna be more AI uh, used and exposed by VMware products. Moving on. That's not what VMware is talking about though when they keep talking about Gen AI. What they're talking about is enabling their customers to deploy generative AI technologies like large language models in, um, in, in their own applications. And here's the thing, right now when it comes to deploying machine learning, you kind of, as an enterprise, well, right now you either have the choice of using an existing model uh, be, or trying to pretend that you're capable of competing with like OpenAI and building your own model. You're not gonna do that. Essentially, the, the cost and the complexity of building your own machine learning large language model is prohibitive. And the benefit is just gone because you can already, there's already a plenty of offerings on the, on the market that you can just use. So what, what companies are gonna be doing is they're gonna be doing transfer learning and retraining and enhancement of existing large language models and other types of generative AI, and that's gonna require compute processing. Now their choice is use a cloud service provider like you know, Amazon or Google to run that as a service. Uh, use a special purpose one like CoreWeave in the future to uh, basically do the AI processing or try to deploy it on premises. VMware is in a unique position because they already have technology that lets servers uh, basically aggregate GPUs and divide them up on demand to virtual machines. They've been doing this in the VDI space. They've been doing this um, for AI processing. And now they're basically announcing that they've got a whole um, way of deploying flexible GPUs in the vSphere environment. And then you can use, as an enterprise could use those as a way to do their own um, large language model transfer learning. This, I, I hate to say it because it sounds like such a horrible buzzword. It actually makes total sense. It's a really good use for this technology. And VMware is actually way ahead of everybody else in terms of allocating and using GPUs. So although it is a little humorous, to hear all these executives, and especially people that really don't know much about AI, going on and on about Gen AI. Uh, VMware actually <laughs> they have a good offering here, and I think they should be proud of what they've got. Tom, the other big thing that we saw here today uh, at VMware Explore is NSX Plus. So VMware NSX is a really great offering in the networking and security space, and it's getting even more exciting with NSX Plus. It's an as-a-service offering that specifically focuses on application visibility, uh, network detection and response, and uh, workload mobility in using the HCX, which is now HCX Plus, um, offering, which we've talked about before. The goal of this service is to provide functionality that modern enterprises uh, can leverage at a monthly cost as, as OPEX instead of as CAPEX. The other big news of the NSX announcement is NSX VPC, which is modeled on the virtual private cloud networking capability that we've got in the public cloud, except now extends into private cloud. We heard a lot about this at our Tech Field Day presentation, which is live right now on LinkedIn, and will be on uh, techfieldday.com real soon. 
Uh, what's your take on NSX Plus? So I think there's two important things that NSX Plus enables. The first is that it combines the management capabilities that you had from the old NSX on-prem model, NSXT, with the NSX that runs in the cloud. That was one of the biggest arguments that um, customers had, is that they had to log out of one platform and log into the other one if all they wanted to do was manage on-prem versus cloud. That goes away. The second thing is this model that they're using that is as a service. So all the things we talked about, application visibility, workload mobility, um, you know, all the security enhancements, all of that stuff that you've been using is now a monthly fee, whether it's a per device, per user, per site, per whatever. And I think that that's an important value because we've talked about this over the, the last several months and I've even written a lot about it. You need to be able to unlock the value for the services that people are using. And if you're about to be I don't know, acquired by a very large company who is trying to figure out what your customers are using, wouldn't it be great for you to be able to provide data on that by saying, well, these are the things that people are really consuming and this is where we need to focus, say, I don't know, part of a billion dollar R&D budget. That is hugely valuable. And we've seen a lot of other companies that have tried to do this already where they've gone to this um, you know, service consumption model where they can truly kind of reallocate resources to work on the things that are important to people and drive product development around those. Um, how many times have you, in recent memory, seen that your uh, platform of choice has added a bunch of useless features that you're never going to use because a few people in this really random space asked for them? Well, now you know that if those features don't actually take off, nobody's gonna use them. And I think that that's hugely valuable for the NSX team because it means that when the R&D budget allocations get sent out, um, whether it's soon through VMware or later through the um, capital investment of Broadcom, that you're gonna see um, massive improvements in NSX through NSX Plus because we now know where the squeaky wheels are to get that grease. Steven, VMware Cloud on AWS was enhanced at VMware Explorer, including new VMware Cloud on AWS Advanced Bundles, enhanced networking and security features, upcoming NSX Plus services, the availability of vSAN with express storage architecture for greenfield deployments, and the introduction of VPC peering support for Amazon FSX, which is aimed at improving the platform's capabilities and offering. Steven, it sounds like VMware is really doubling down on this AWS integration. What's your take on it? Yeah, so uh, this is, uh, well, honestly, it's, it's a great improvement to the VMware Cloud on AWS offering. Uh, again, just to, as a reminder, what is VMware Cloud on AWS? Essentially, this is run VMware except in AWS instead of um, in your data center. It is a real full, you know, the, the thing that VMware does on-premises except it's running in AWS as um, an operational expense. Um, it has been uh, somewhat controversial because it is essentially <laughs> what it says on the tin. It's VMware running on AWS, but it's actually been taken up by some of the customers because you know they kind of wanted that. They wanted the ability to use this either full-time or part-time for bursting or um, for as a DR target, uh, as a development environment, um, as a production environment. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you might want to run VMware on AWS, and you can, and it's really good, and it just freaking works. Um, so the advanced uh, version of cloud on AWS, which they're announcing here, is basically the same as what it was before, except with some bundled stuff. So what are you getting? You're getting ARIA services, you get the advanced networking and security stuff that we just talked about, NSX Plus, 
um, you get HCX. Um, another big aspect of this, as we talked about, is the inclusion of this vSAN Express storage architecture. Um, the TLDR on that is that that makes vSAN faster. Uh, this is basically a further development of uh, performance within vSAN. Um, do you want faster storage? Yeah, I think that'd be good. Okay. Um, but the big one for me is um, probably the most, um, uh, I don't know, the one you might have glossed over if you looked at the announcement. So let me dive into the VPC peering support for Amazon FSX uh, on NetApp ONTAP. Um, this, again, it sounds like a lot, but let me explain what this is. So right now, when you're running um, VMware Cloud on AWS, you basically have two choices for storage. You can either use vSAN and basically have a, um, a hyperconverged type storage approach, or you can use what's called Amazon FSX for NetApp ONTAP. What, this, uh, what the FSX is, is it is a um, integrated uh, version of NetApp's uh, popular storage arrays that runs in the cloud as a service, completely as a service, and is completely compatible and, um, and, and really uh, high performance functional enterprise storage environment. Uh, up until now, uh, the only way to do this though was to uh, basically uh, pay some transit charges for data that's flowing between the VMware Cloud on AWS and the NetApp uh, storage, which hasn't been a big deal for a lot of people because it wasn't a big problem because maybe there wasn't, I mean, it, it didn't add up to as much in the grand scheme of things, but it adds up to something and it provides some friction in there and it makes you think, well, maybe I don't wanna do this or maybe that's not a really integrated solution because I have to pay for data that's flowing back and forth and that's just not great. Um, what they've done is they've figured out a clever way to introduce peering, which means that there's no transit charges, which means that if you're using VMware Cloud on AWS and Amazon FSx for NetApp ONTAP, you're able to uh, send data back and forth for free, basically. It's, uh, it's considered local data, and, um, and that means that the whole thing is much more uh, the way you'd want it to be in the data center. I mean, if I told you that you had to pay uh, for data transit between your storage array and your server in the data center, you'd think I was crazy, right? Well, until now, you've had to do that in the cloud, and now you don't with this specific offering. Now, I know you probably have heard that there's a lot of storage offerings in the world. Uh, there are. Uh, there are even a lot of storage offerings, enterprise storage offerings in the cloud. But NetApp really has a unique position here because they are the only non-vSAN storage offering that is 100% compatible, integrated, functional, as a service, managed service for uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. And that's what this is all about. And this basically takes away the one big but, but, but from that whole discussion. And I think a lot of people are gonna start looking at VMware Cloud on AWS plus the FSX uh, NetApp offering as a way to replicate their data center into the cloud, and I think that's good for customers. Tom, uh, you might have heard that here in the year of VDI, oh, I know it's not, um, you know, it, it's, it's the time of work for home, from home, it's the time of hybrid work, and of course VMware is active there. Uh, this was one of their core offerings for a long, long time, 
they don't get as much press and coverage, but I think we should talk a little bit about the client solutions. So this week, uh, we heard some uh, announcements here, including uh, enhanced digital employee experiences, um, secure endpoint management, uh, advanced workforce solutions. Um, what's your take on all of these announcements along the uh, client side of VMware? It's funny because going back to the NSX Plus announcement, they were very clear that they were doing network detection and response, NDR. And if you followed any of the stuff that we've done here at Gestalt IT, especially a great uh, tech talk that we did with Gerard Catalinas where we talked about XDR, extended detection and response, you're probably wondering, well, why is VMware focusing on NDR when XDR is the new hotness? And the answer is, is because they don't need to focus on the XDR part of it because of what they're doing with their client offerings. Because they have that capability already built into Horizon Workspace. Because a lot of the things that XDR is trying to do where it does this cross-correlation and all these other things, a lot of that really happens at the network layer. And so that's what NSX Plus is doing is it's connecting the Horizon Workspace management suite into that NDR kind of platform to be able to do a lot of these security enhancements. And I know that a lot of people, yeah, it's the year of VDI, right, again. But to me, it's not the VDI part that's magical. It's what you can build the security suite around because it's so hard to manage client devices because of the breadth of technology that they have. Are your people working off of a Windows laptop, a Mac OS laptop, an iPad, a phone? Uh, are they working with their documents primarily stored in a cloud service somewhere? Or are they trying to do them from a local machine and do some kind of a replication? It's enough to make your head spin. But if you're utilizing Horizon as your platform, it doesn't matter what they're doing because it's all presented the same way. And it has a consistent backend that you can use to build on. And I think that that is something that is really important for security experts. It's also very important whenever you look at all the other solutions that kind of integrate into that. Things like HCX with that workload mobility. Um, you know, if that workload is a client device that's somewhere out in the world, whether it's being deployed in, a, in an enterprise office or at someone's house, like it has the same consistent um, you know, performance characteristics and things like that, and they don't have to worry about it. Plus, you can be sure that it's safe and secure and all the patches are being installed on it so it doesn't cause a compromise. So yeah, I think that this is kind of one of those things that's still a core offering of what VMware is doing. Even though there's a lot of focus on cloud, um, people still have to get to the cloud somehow. And I think that that's where those client solutions are gonna become a, a much bigger play. And we'll talk about in just a second how we're gonna extend all the way down to where the devices live. But Stephen, before we get there, um, you may have heard this week there was a little bit of noise, okay, a lot of noise about Tanzu, the integrated Kubernetes offering that we've been hearing so much about. Uh, this included app-centric VMware Tanzu application engine for multi-cloud deployment, enhanced multi-cloud cost forecasting, developer portal, and improvements in multi-cloud management and Kubernetes operations. All of this would lead to believe that VMware remains very dedicated to Tanzu and their application development focus, wouldn't you say, Stephen? Well, I would say from the outside looking in, you would look at this and say, man, um, Tanzu must be like a, a major product, a major core uh, element of, of uh, VMware's offerings. Um, and you wouldn't be entirely right about that. I mean, the truth is that Tanzu is still somewhat struggling for adoption. I think it's a, a clever product. I've, I've been impressed by it since we saw it introduced uh, at VMworld a few years ago. Uh, we've covered it quite a lot. Essentially, Tanzu is VMware's answer to the containerization of applications and the whole DevOps approach to application development and deployment. It, it's a good product. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. It does a very nice job integrating the Kubernetes world with the VMware experience. 
And it is also a very developer-centric and developer-focused product. And that's, again, a good way to, for VMware as a company to strategically move toward the next generation of enterprise applications. So all this is being said, Tanzu is a really great positive product for VMware. Unfortunately, there has been a somewhat slow adoption of Tanzu. Um, and, but more importantly, especially given the Broadcom uh, acquisition, there's a lot of concern in the industry around the future of Tanzu. So essentially, this is a product that Broadcom may look at and question whether this is a strategic direction for VMware and whether this is worth the continued investment. But you wouldn't know that from VMware Explore 2023 because man, there is a lot here. There are so many things that I'm not gonna be able to cover them all. But as you said, um, we've got a Tanzu application engine, which is an application-centric way of de delivering applications on Tanzu, which is um, using Kubernetes and, and VMware uh, technologies. Uh, we also have a developer portal. We've got multi-cloud management so that you can um, deploy applications in other places. Uh, Kubernetes operations um, for EKS and AKS and things like that. Um, you know, governance, forecasting, um, a new version of the application platform. As I talked about in the Gen AI section, we've got uh, actionable insights, which is kind of a, a way of deploying machine learning and large language models to help developers uh, deploy modern uh, web scale applications. Um, there's a ton of stuff in here. I didn't get anywhere near all of it, but the, the, the bottom line is the Tanzu group remains committed to this product. Uh, VMware is obviously continuing to invest in this product. Um, and a lot of the FUD and concern around Tanzu seems misplaced at this point because, as Tom just talked about, the as a serviceification uh, or the opexification of everything is going to be attractive to Broadcom. And I think that there's a good chance that uh, VMware's new owners may look at Tanzu and say, you know, that is worth continued investment, that is worth. Um, uh, you know, making a focus for the new VMware. And I think that that's what we're seeing here is we're seeing the Tanzu group sort of put their flag down and say, you know what, Tanzu is still worth it and, and here's why. Tom, uh, VMware is jumping into the private 4G, 5G space with a private mobile network. Uh, the back call is being provided initially through a partnership with a company called Federated Wireless, who will be building out on-prem remote access network or RAN infrastructure for customers that include the latest technologies such as CBRS. Uh, VMware is going to provide the private mobile network orchestration and management platform on top of this to integrate it into existing IT environments. Uh, private mobile networking is an overlay that can uh, work with a variety of different RAN solutions in the future as well. The goal is to capture this growing mobile client market for enterprise knowledge workers, and the service is expected to launch soon. Um, this one seems to kind of come out of left field given you know, a lot of the things we've been talking about. You'd think, right? Because you've got a company that is pretty widely known for running data center virtualization and being in the cloud, and um, why are you building things for 4G, 5G, CBRS, RAN networks? And the answer is AirWatch. Remember that? A thing that they made and they integrated it into Horizon? Remember how I said that you've got this idea that you're building out this suite of uh, software and security that works to help secure user workloads? What do those run on? They run on devices, and about half of those devices now have a SIM card in them or the capability of taking one. And that means that you need to provide connectivity for them. And you want to make sure that connectivity is sound and secure and manageable from a central location. 
Hmm, I wonder how I can do that. I know, I'll integrate a dashboard into all of the dashboards that I've been building out in this, this massive um, you know, platform that I've created. And I think that the value here is not from the idea that VMware is getting into the CBRS space because that would have been a mistake. What they are doing is they are leveraging their software development capabilities and their uh, platform management skills on top of RAN providers like Federated Wireless and I'm sure soon to be many others because one of the things that Federated Wireless really honestly doesn't want to get into the market of is managing all of these customers. Um, it, they're really, their, their focus, their, their value is in providing the RAN infrastructure. Let's get in there, let's deploy it, let the customer pay for it, and then we want to move on to our next deployment. Whereas with VMware, like we, like we just said, the value is in that per user, per device, monthly cost, revenue stream. But also by integrating that into Horizon, there's an uh, opportunity for direct attach um, you know, workloads. It's like, hey, guess what? You already have the management suite that allows you to manage your uh, RAN access in the warehouse, but you need these devices to be able to scan inventory. We have solutions that will allow you to do that. And I think that there's value there. I will caution people though, um, you're going to need to make sure to support this platform if it's something that's important to you, because this does seem like a kind of a, a trial balloon, if you will, to make sure that the market is gonna withstand that. And I think that if people don't pick it up quickly, we're gonna see this one kind of shuffled off into um, you know, maintenance mode, for lack of a better term, before ultimately either being killed off or sold off. Uh, probably two partners like Federated Wireless was like, well, if you don't, we don't want to manage it, do you want to take the software and manage it for us? I think that may end up being what happens. But I, I'm optimistic because 5G is definitely a growing, exploding space. Um, Steven, the edge compute management platform from VMware integrates Project Keswick features and more into a new orchestration module for edge computing, enabling deployment and provisioning of edge compute infrastructure and applications on a large scale through zero-touch provisioning. This platform integrates other edge services like SD-WAN, security, network analytics, and private 5G. I know that edge has been a huge topic and you've talked a lot about it this year with utilizing edge. Where is the value in the VMware edge compute stack here? Yeah, the, the uh, interesting thing here for me is uh, VMware has a lot of technologies that could be applicable at the edge. And that's one thing that they've done. They've worked with a lot of partners to deploy uh, virtualization enabled and, and, and VMware integrated solutions from edge to the data center. But of course, VMware has a lot of other inc incredible technology too. Uh, Project Keswick is the name for NSX Plus. And essentially, uh, VMware is bringing all that NSX goodness into their edge environment. And I think that that's very smart. This is actually one of the things that I was asking about before I heard about all this. I was saying, well, but what about all that other technology that you've got? You've got SD-WAN technology, you've got uh, Secure Access Service Edge, uh, you've got uh, NSX, uh, HCX, um, and, and as you mentioned, even private 5G. Uh, all of that stuff has a lot of relevance at the edge. Where does that, how does that work here? And that's what this is all about. Essentially, we've got an edge compute management platform um, from VMware, and now it integrates um, NSX Plus. It integrates a lot of these other capabilities, firewalls, you know, SD-WAN, into a uh, unified edge offering that, of course, also still includes a lot of partner uh, products as well. So essentially, uh, this is another flag plant from the VMware 
uh, world where they're saying, look, um, yes, we know that Edge is a big uh, growing environment, a growing space that, uh, that is relevant to VMware, and we're there, and we're ready to, to have this be an offering. And look, we can pull from this, we can pull from that, we can pull from this, we can integrate it all together, and we can make a really unique Edge platform that incorporates everything from client to SD-WAN to core vSphere ca capability into a, uh, a complete Edge offering, including a retail edge offering that's designed for, you know, literally retail stores, point of sale, etc. So all of this stuff, again, shows the importance of edge as a new market for VMware. But um, I, I don't want to say that there's not like a product here because there kind of is. But at the same time, I think VMware is still very much interested in continuing to work with product with partners to make sure that they're able to deliver the best edge experience for customers. I think that's smart. Uh, rather than sort of saying, no, 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 we're our own edge platform. All right, Stephen. Well, it's been an exciting week for us. Um, we're here, obviously, at VMware Explore 2023, and we did record some great Tech Field Day content that you're going to want to check out very soon. Uh, we have presentations from VMware and AMD that are live on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Tech Field Day on LinkedIn, and we'll be on our website very soon as well. Not to mention some great interviews that we recorded with companies like Infinidat, Zerto, Commvault and Haiku, and you're going to want to go to gestaltit.com to see those interviews and, and read some of the uh, information that we shared about those. But coming up after this week, Stephen, what have you got going on that people will want to tune in for? Well, uh, we're getting back to storage. Uh, we've got Storage Field Day coming back with uh, SNEA's Storage Developer Conference in Fremont in September. Uh, if you're a storage nerd like me, uh, check that out. Even if you're not a storage nerd, um, there's some cool stuff going on in the world of storage. And SNEA's uh, Storage Developer Conference really is one of my favorite con conferences because it's so wonderfully, deliciously nerdy. If you'd like to go to that conference, you can still get um, a pass. Uh, you can go through the halls and talk to the people that are developing all these products and uh, really get a, a real behind-the-scenes look uh, from Storage Developer Conference. Also, we are planning for our next Edge event. So we're looking at Edge Field Day 2 coming in October. Uh, please do check out the Tech Field Day channels for that. We would love to share uh, with you news uh, from the Edge. All right. Well, thank you very much for tuning in uh, for the special on-premises uh, plus-sized episode of The Rundown. We are back every Wednesday around 12.30 Eastern Time with all the news from the week uh, that involves enterprise IT tech. It's something that we think is valuable to you and the community. Stephen and I love keeping up with all the cool things going on and we love sharing it with you, both on our website at gestaltit.com, on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo, and in your favorite podcast application of choice if you want to listen to the dulcet tones of our voice while you're mowing the yard or going on a run. Uh, if you do listen to us on your podcast application, do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review so that everybody knows how awesome we are and what we talk about here so that when they download the podcast and listen to a few episodes, they understand that we're talking all things enterprise and all things tech. We will be back with another great episode next week as we uh, gear up for the fall season. If you have any news stories that you would like to share with us, please make sure you tag us uh, using the hashtag rundown. And uh, we're at Gestalt IT on almost every social media platform. And if you want to write us with an Apple Pencil, please feel free to do that um, in addition to all the other great things. So for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for my um, 
engaging co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Thank you very much for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate you being a great member of our community. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Until then, take care, stay cool, and we'll see you soon. And don't let somebody next to you poke you with something. Exactly. Exactly.